0: The psalm that we just sang is now the psalm that we read, Psalm 77. The text this morning is verse 11, but we will be walking through the whole psalm in the preaching this morning, so it will be profitable to keep our Bibles open to Psalm 77 through the course of the preaching this morning. To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. That's kind of the introduction, and then he explains. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God... And was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. "Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. You know, the good times when I sang with joy in the middle of the night. That's the idea. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water, the skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad, lightning. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters." And thy footsteps are not known. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So far, we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely, I will remember thy wonders of old. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, It was John Calvin who said that the Psalms contain an anatomy of all parts of the soul. The Psalms contain an anatomy of all parts of the soul. And what he meant was that whatever your soul is going through, whatever emotion, whatever feeling you are experiencing, there is a psalm that captures it. Is your soul bursting with joy? There's a psalm that will help you communicate that joy. Is your soul afraid of what the enemy might do to you? Well, there's a psalm for you in those circumstances also. Is your soul struggling in the depths of melancholy and discouragement and despair? Well, there's a psalm for you then also. And Psalm 77 is a special psalm. And it's a special psalm because it interacts with the raw emotions of a discouraged and despairing child of God. It's a psalm that when you read it, and you read it slowly, it makes you weep. And yet, it's a psalm that when you read it with understanding and you read it all the way through, it makes you smile, even through those tears. It's a very beautiful psalm. It's a psalm to be strongly commended to those who are struggling with discouragement and despair. It's a psalm that the elders and the deacons ought to be familiar with as they seek to bring comfortable words to God's people. It's a psalm that showcases in a very powerful way how the doubts and the discouraging thoughts of the child of God are very real. And yet, it also is a psalm that showcases how the child of God who is struggling is called to encourage himself in the Lord his God, as we considered last week's Sunday evening, and persist in prayer and bring his cries to the Lord. It's a psalm with which all God's people should be familiar, and it's a psalm highly appropriate for preparing us for coming to the Lord's Supper this morning. And we'll see that as we walk through the psalm together. We take as our theme, I will remember the works of the Lord. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we look at Asaph's personal struggle. Second, we look at Asaph's encouraging lesson. And then third, preparing for the Lord's Supper, we look at our own act of remembering. In the first half of the psalm, Asaph describes a very difficult time in his life. It was a time of spiritual loneliness and despair, we could say spiritual depression, a time of being overwhelmed with anguish and sorrow and grief and discouraging thoughts. It was a time of trouble. That's how Asaph puts it in verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. For Asaph, it was the day of trouble. And it's very striking because you'll notice that that word trouble in verse 2 is used again in verse 3 and again in verse 4. Three times Asaph speaks of trouble. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. I remembered God and was troubled. And then verse 4, thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Now that word trouble is used three times in the King James, but the reality is in the original It's three different words, three different words that Asaph uses to emphasize his struggle and turmoil. In verse 2, the word for trouble is the word that means distress. It has the idea of being pressed together into a narrow place. It was actually the word that we came across last week, Sunday night, when we read from 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, that David was greatly distressed. Remember, he felt himself being squeezed in as if in a vice. It's the same word used here. Asaph feels himself being pressed in under pressure so that there's a burden that's weighing him down and you can't do anything about it. All you can do is, is bear up underneath it. Verse 3, the word for trouble, is a word that emphasizes the idea of murmuring, or growling, or roaring. Think of a grown man who is sobbing. Children, have you ever heard a grown, husky man sobbing through his tears? Sometimes it sounds like a loud, mournful, roaring. That's how Asaph was crying. He says, I complained. I was murmuring, and I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. He's roaring in his sorrow. And then in verse 4, The word for trouble is a word that emphasizes the idea of being struck or being beaten. And the idea is that Asaph feels himself being pummeled with his grief. He's he's so broken or beaten back and forth that he's in a state of bewildered confusion. So that he says, I am so troubled, so pummeled that I cannot speak. Asaph was troubled. and Perhaps that's the, the simplest way of putting it. Leaving it like that, he was confused, he was perplexed, he was distraught, overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. It was the day of his trouble. Well, what was Asaph's trouble? Asaph doesn't tell us in this psalm, and it doesn't matter. In fact, I believe that that's intentionally done. We don't know what his trouble was, so that we might look past the specific circumstances and apply this psalm to ourselves, whatever troubles we might be going through. What are your troubles, beloved? What are your griefs and perplexities? God's people have trouble. Maybe a child of God is struggling with, struggling silently with the death of a loved one. Or preparing for death. And they are struggling. Maybe a child of God is grieving over a family member who is departing from the truth and turning into the path of folly and sin. Maybe the child of God has scars from long ago and he still struggles with the the sorrows and the the memories of what happened to them. Maybe the child of God is struggling with a debilitating disease. Daily afflictions of the body and it gives them untold pain and misery And and no one else maybe even knows about it but this is their existence and they have no one to share their burden with. Maybe it's The experiencing experience of realizing that your your hopes and your dreams, at least for this life, won't be realized. Maybe it's the grief of marriage strife or being abandoned by one's spouse. And there's the constant feeling of loneliness and having to do things without companionship. There's no end to the the possible troubles of God's people. But the feeling is real. You feel troubled confused, perplexed, distraught, overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. As Asaph says, verse 4, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And then when you move on in the passage and you look at the following verses, you see what was especially troubling Asaph, his relationship with the Lord. Asaph says that much already in verse 3, I remembered God and was troubled. And then verses 5 through 9, he explains himself. All kinds of doubting questions arose within him concerning his relationship with God. Where is God? Where is my God? Why why is God doing this? Why is God letting this happen? Is God against me? Doesn't God love me? And if He loves me, then then why? Why this trouble, right? Verse 5, he says... I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. He means, the idea is, I remember when the days were bright and sunny. When my faith was strong, my walk with the Lord was a close walk, and I felt God smile upon me and things were going well. And he says, I miss that. He says, I remember the songs I could sing when I was on my bed at night. Oh, how I loved to sing God's praise. My prayer life was so vibrant. God's loving kindness was more than life to me. And he says, I'm not there anymore. I miss that. God feels far away. So then he starts asking these hard questions. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? He's struggling with these things. You can imagine how, how horrible that thought is when that thought crosses your mind. Has God forgotten me? Am I no longer... One about whom he 's paying attention, this is his struggle, this is his weakness, and that 's exactly what where Satan would tempt us with as well, or, or where he would tempt us as well that, that's what Satan wants. He wants us to begin questioning god's love for us. Does God love me? and if so, then why is my life so difficult if he if he did love me, he wouldn't make my circumstances so unbearable, would he? How could he put these things in my experience of life if, if he is my father? This is what Asaph is struggling with. And these things are real. The child of God sometimes asks these questions in our own soul. We ask these questions sometimes. And one thing that I think is worth emphasizing is it's okay to ask those questions Asaph is asking these questions, and and Asaph is here really presented as an example for us. This is a psalm. This is a a song that we are to make our own songs. We're taught to sing these words, and these are real questions. These questions are sometimes part of the anatomy of our soul. Now, this doesn't mean we get angry with God or we rebel against God and start shaking our fist against God. No. No. That's not the attitude, but we can ask these questions. Why, God? God, where are you? I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. And Asaph struggled. He says, I couldn't sleep. He says, I didn't want any comforters. He says, I, I just wanted to be alone. He says, my soul refused to be comforted. And that's, that's Asaph's struggle. But now the the striking thing about this entire psalm and about other psalms like it is this. Asaph is writing all these things. He's making this song in order to teach us and in order to help us, to minister to us, and to give us direction when we too are in these situations like he was in. Indeed, God himself is giving us this psalm to teach us. And God uses Asaph's experience to teach us an encouraging lesson. We should ask ourselves, first of all, who was Asaph? Asaph was King David's chief musician. He was the choir director. That is, Asaph was an important leader in the church. He was directly involved in the worship of the Lord every day at the temple. Asaph, you can imagine, was a man of devout and strong faith. And yet, it was Asaph himself who was going through these kinds of dark and troubling thoughts. And turmoil of mind. And we need to ask why does Asaph write this psalm? Well, he writes it as the choir director exactly to to give the people voice to similar emotions and experiences that we go through. He writes it to, to guide others in communicating their thoughts to the Lord. And then he also writes this psalm by inspiration, we understand in order to gently guide others in how they need to answer these difficult questions that come to mind. That's why I said just a moment ago, to ask those questions that Asaph was asking in verses 7, 8, and 9 is not wrong. In fact, what Asaph was doing is commendable. He's struggling with deep thoughts and he's asking questions. He's he's putting his troubles and, and his hard thoughts into words so that he can interact with his own emotions and so that he can bring these things to the Lord. And the reality is, as we all experience it, to, to bring these questions to the Lord, to, to ask these questions, is really to answer these questions at the same time. Asaph knows the answers to these questions. Can God forget to be gracious? Of course not. Is God's mercy clean gone forever? No. Does his promise fail forevermore? Oh, I asked the question, but I know the answer. It's impossible that his promise should fail forevermore. And that's where we come to the transition in the psalm. And this is where Asaph tells us what he did. What did Asaph do? He wrestled with these difficult questions and he kept praying to the Lord. That's how the psalm begins. I cried unto the Lord. He kept praying, pouring out his heart to the Lord. And God heard his cry. And God answered his cry in exactly this way, that Asaph continued to wrestle by faith to the point where finally his mind was directed to turn away from himself towards God so that he said, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. And what Asaph is saying here, all these questions arise in his mind. And he says, I will remember just who my heavenly father is. And he says, just who is my heavenly father? Answer, he is the God who is holy. And he is the God who is great. And he is the God who cares and who leads his people like a shepherd. Notice what he says in verse 13. Thy way is, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Well, what does that mean? As he starts to remember the works of the Lord, he says, Thy way is in the sanctuary. What does that mean? Well, there are two possibilities here. The one possibility is that it means this. Thy way is in holiness. Thy way is the path of holiness. And if that's what the words mean, then the idea is this. God's way is higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And one thing we know is that they are holy. Because God is holy in all His ways. And so even though I can't understand what you are doing, God, or, or why thou art bringing these things into my life, I simply leave it at this point. Thou art holy. And all thy ways have a good and holy reason. And I leave it at that. I trust thy goodness. Thy way is in the sanctuary. That's the one option, the one possibility. The other possibility is this, that when Asaph says, Thy way is in the sanctuary, that Asaph is in fact talking about the temple. And then the idea would be that Asaph turns his thoughts towards the sacrifices that are being made at the temple and says to himself, I need to remember this is how God deals with His people. This is how I remember how God has dealt with us so graciously and mercifully to us. This is how I know God has not shut up his tender mercies towards me. I go to the temple, I go to the sanctuary, and that's where everything is made plain. Because God has dealt with me in mercy. He is the one who's provided the substitute. He is the one who's provided the sacrificial lamb. And there that lamb is my substitute, the sacrifice that takes away my sins. And now on the basis of that shed blood, God takes me as His child. And God will never leave me or abandon me, but always do me good. Instead of the angel of death smiting me or smiting my household with that punishing wrath, God sees the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the angel of death passes over and shows mercy. Just look at how God has shown His love for me in taking away all my sins. So, so that's the other possibility. Thy way is in the sanctuary, thy way is the path of holiness, or thy way is in the sanctuary, thy way is in the temple, dealing with me in mercy through the blood of the Lamb. Now both those understanding, understandings are possible, and both of those ideas fit in with what Asaph goes on to say in the rest of the psalm. In the rest of the psalm, Asaph is thinking about the great things that God has done for His people in the great days of old. And specifically, his mind turns towards that awesome deliverance of God's people from from Egyptian bondage. Verses 16 through 19 make this especially clear. Verse 16, the waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, the people there at, at the shores of the Red Sea. Thunder and lightning and darkness. Imagine that. The water saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. And then in verse 19, it becomes very clear that he's thinking about The deliverance from Egypt, verse 19, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. And what Asaph is saying is this, no one understood. No one understood what God was doing in those moments either. In fact, when God delivered his people out of Egyptian bondage, it looked like God was making a big mistake. God should have been leading his people north. To the most direct, through the most direct path to the land of Canaan. But instead, God said, lead them through the desert wilderness, straight east and even a little south, to the shores of the Red Sea. And there they arrived at the shores of the Red Sea, and what did they experience? They were trapped. Mountains on this side, mountains on that side, the Red Sea in front of them, and they could hear the footsteps and the horse. The, the hooves of the hordes, horses from behind them, chasing after them, Egypt, the Egyptian army about to slay them all. And it seemed as if God had led His people to the shores of the Red Sea only, that they might be completely destroyed by the Egyptians. And they were troubled. They were in trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Has God forgotten to be kind? Will He be favorable no more? And then they saw it. In God's own infinite wisdom and in His almighty power, He parted the Red Sea and He led His people safely through. And not only that, but after they were safely through, God even completely destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. So that when they came out on the other side, there's a a whole chapter of singing and praise. Exodus 15. It's the way that God's people could never have anticipated. It was the way that God's people would never have chosen for themselves, to be sure. It was the way that simply didn't make any sense. But it was God's way. It was God's holy way. And that's exactly what Asaph means in verse 19 when he says, Thy way is in the sea. And thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. And now the point of it all for Asaph is this. That same God who performed those deeds many years ago, He's also my God today. And what, in fact, what happened in the Red Sea, that's, that's what God did for me. That's my history and just so, my present circumstances too, my present perplexities and my troubles, they also are in the hands of God. And time after time after time, if you know the history of God's dealing with His people, every single time God shows Himself faithful and even shows Himself to be more gracious than our puny minds could imagine. His ways are sometimes difficult. We don't minimize that. But they are His ways and they are the ways that lead for His people to salvation. So that he exclaims, who is, who is a God? Who is so great a God as our God? And God is always with his people, even in those difficulties. Even in Israel's exodus from Egypt, God led his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So that the Lord is always with me, even in the difficulty. He's my constant and faithful shepherd. Now congregation, why do we consider all these things this morning? And as we look ahead to celebrating the Lord's Supper, why do we consider these things? Well, we consider these things because this is exactly why God gives us also the Lord's Supper. That we too, this morning with Asaph, here in the sanctuary among God's people, we might remember the works of the Lord. Not just that typical history of deliverance from Egypt, but the full and the true deliverance Of which all of that was just a picture and a type. Here this morning at the Lord's Supper, the Lord calls us to remember the works of the Lord. To remember who He is as our God and as our Savior and how great His mercy is to us. This is what He's done for us. This is His love being commended towards us that He Himself stooped so low that He Himself entered our world, the Maker of heaven and earth, took upon Himself our flesh and blood, walked among men, sinful men, and not only that, but came under the curse of the law. He bore the curse, even in the moment of His birth, He bore that curse as our head and substitute, that He might go all the way through His life to the end of the cross, that He might bear all of the punishment for our sins and save us from death and hell and woe appalling and save us unto everlasting life and glory this is how great our god is he who is god almighty became the lamb and i think the students at hope school this past week had a chapel speech on Who God is as the shepherd and who we are as sheep. God Himself became the sheep, the lamb, the Passover lamb, that He might shed His blood and bear the punishment for all our sins. That you and I might have all our sins forgiven and that God's blessing might rest on us forever. This is who our God is. And this is who you are. This is who I am. We are the redeemed children of the Lord. He loves us. And just like Asaph, we need to remember. We need to meditate on the works of the Lord. We need to talk of his doings. And doing so, the Lord blesses us, strengthens us. He hears our cries. O congregation, as pilgrims and strangers, you have troubles. You have sorrows. You have infirmities. Infirmities which remain in you against your will. Remember the work of the Lord. Remember this morning the death of Jesus Christ. And then even remember this, that even with all the events surrounding Jesus' own crucifixion and death, it all seemed like the wrong way then too, didn't it? His disciples were offended at Him because He allowed His enemies to treat Him so scornfully. It didn't make any sense to anyone. But it was God's way. It was God's holy way to accomplish your salvation. His way is in the sanctuary. His way is in the sea. His ways are far higher than our ways. His way is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And His ways are mercy and grace and love to all His people, whom He now calls this morning to remember the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Who is so great a God? as our God. Amen.